0: Welcome, welcome, everybody. Welcome. This is Sharon Smith, and this is Iambic Poetry Podcast, and I'm here with not only a poet, an author, a performer. I mean, if you want to know about The Queen's Gambit. You need to talk to this person here. She's 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 got it all, and a mother. She's done some more. I mean, she got on going, on going, on going. Basically, one of Sacramento's own who's now living in Oregon. I'd like to give you Barbara West. Oh, thank
1: you, thank you, Gerard. I Great to do. be here. Thanks for having me today.
0: Most definitely, most definitely. But one thing, welcome. I. I've been dying to talk to you. I've been having moments. I know you've been, you've been trapped with been trailblazing around the country and stuff, you know, from, from the North, from Boston to Houston to now back into Oregon. I mean, you're just going everywhere. So first of all, thank you for, being able to be your smiling self and being happy and still being able out there, putting some work out there and stuff. That's one thing. Mm -hmm. Second thing. I'm glad that you're doing well from the pandemic and everything went, how everything went and stuff. And I'm (sighs) glad you're still able to vibe and do your stuff. How's everything been with you? Well, pretty
1: good. I just got my second booster. Like, 12 days ago, (laughs) you know, like you don't really like getting shots, but like people I know who are like way more careful than me were getting COVID. And, and, you know, one friend of mine who's super healthy got real sick, you know, so it's just, it's still scary. And I mean, I, I've had so much exposure working as a nurse, you know, through, especially the early part of the pandemic before we had the vaccine. And as far as I know, I still haven't gotten it. So it's just, um, it's weird, you know, you're still just Trying to keep yourself scared enough to stay healthy for a while, and then eating my fruits and vegetables. So when I do get it, I give it my best shot. Right.
0: So, because so is is, I've always had the concern now of looking at the pandemic or they're looking at uh, COVID as not it's not who's gonna get it is when you're gonna get
1: exactly, it. Exactly.
0: Exactly. That's and now, it, and I thought that was like, oh. People can't be thinking that way, and then I started having like my, my mom got it, and my brother yeah, got it, and I'm exactly. like, uh, we we can't afford this.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm just on a like not this week, please plan. That's that's what I'm telling
0: you. <laughs> it's like, and, and even even the fact that people how they how they treat it now, they treat it as if
1: it's just a common cold.
0: We we get that all the time. It's like, yeah, but the common cold doesn't knock you out for almost a month. <laughs>
1: I know, I know. I mean, fortunately, a lot of people, it is just kind of like that. But, 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 you know, like I say, my, my close friend up here in, in Corvallis, who's been so careful. I mean, he was real sick and he's a lot healthier than I am. So, yeah.
0: So, but no, well, first of all, I want to say. You have a lot. (laughs) You have a lot of stuff to cover, but uh, we'll get uh, so much on for right now. So one thing I would like to get started to talk about is what gave you, what started your journey? What started your poetic journey? Let's go there first.
1: Yeah, I would say, actually, I went to this really good daycare center in Bloomington, Indiana, and they would have us writing little poems when we were like, you know, three, four, five. The teachers would write them down in their nice teacher handwriting, you know, and, and then my first grade teacher at the public school there in Bloomington, Indiana, she, she had me writing haiku poems like every week. I don't know what it was, but that just got me into this mindset that like, Oh, this is just something I do, you know? And, and I, am looking back on those poems now, like every single poem has the word beautiful in it, you know, (laughs) So it's not like I was cranking out, you know, genius, creative stuff, but I was just getting in the habit of like, this is what one does, you know? So I really appreciate that very early support.
0: Okay. but well, So what, what got you in the mode of starting to publish? Um, your
1: Right. So that's a whole other thing. And, and, you know, as far as I know, as far as I can tell, it was around, um, 2015, 2016. I happened to go to an to a poetry reading at actually the Unitarian Church in Davis. My mom's friend was doing featured poet that day, and I had read one poem of hers that I just loved. So I'm like, "Well, I got to go," you know. And I went, and I'd heard there was going to be open mic, so I show up just with my little eight and a half by eleven some poem that I'd happened to have written in the previous couple years, and just like my hands are shaking, you know, just like I want to read this poem. Like, and I had no idea that I wanted to read this poem that bad. And so I started going every month there and, and they were, everybody was so kind, you know, and I was kind of thinking, you know, here I am in my late forties, it's kind of too late. You know, I've kind of missed the boat on this, but those, the people there at that Unitarian church in Davis, you know, we had Allegra Silver, Silver, Silverstein, who's, she's 90 now. And there was a guy there who was over a hundred. And so I was like, Oh, maybe it's not too late for me. I still have time to do poetry. And, um, and so I just got so excited that I ended up reaching out to my local poet laureate. I didn't know what kind of what to do with myself. So I found Andy Jones's email. He was the Davis poet laureate. I was like, I need advice. Like, what do I do here? And so he hooked me up with Evan White, who had been an intern with him and just this amazing guy. And so Evan met with me a couple of times, like at, you know, coffee shop in downtown Davis being like, this is what you got to do. You got to go to more open mics. You know, he he told me where they were and, um, and, you know, just start working with different pieces. And he kind of pointed me as to which of my pieces were, you know, maybe were more worth putting out there or, or had stuff in there that I didn't even realize. And, and so it was interesting. I, cause I had, I had kind of almost stopped writing around that time and it was bothering me. It was kind of like, um, almost like an illness, like, like, like your intestines stopped up. I don't mean to say like poetry is poop or whatever, but <laughs> it's just like, you've got to keep it moving and flowing. And, and literally my file cabinet had filled up and, and I needed to literally like send stuff out, you know, but didn't know, know how to start. And so you know, I was going to those open mics in Davis and then Sacramento and Philip Larea ended up booking me to feature at the Sacramento Poetry Center. And I was just like, what? Just like shaking. Like, I just couldn't believe I was going to get to do this. And and um, and um, I started meeting people who like people had books out or there was like, you know, Thule Review and there's this thing about being published. And that was just, that had, I had never thought of that. And I didn't really know why I wanted to do that, but yet I just felt this hunger to like get my words out there, I guess. And, and so, um, and then I just got lucky about the Sacramento Poetry Center. That's where, um, I got to co-feature with Dr. Wagner, who I hadn't really met until then. and, And he's been such an important mentor to me ever since then that December of 2016. And, um, And then Dave Bowles of cold river press was there. And, and, and then he said, well, let's, let's talk about doing a book. And I was just like, my jaw was on the floor, but it was just, it's interesting. I I still don't really understand it. Like a lot of poets who I admire so much in the Sacramento scene, especially like spoken word poets, they aren't like putting out books. It's like a whole nother thing. It's, it's about that live physical performance and I resonate with that so much, but there was, it was such a relief to me to get like sort through my file cabinet and get 30 years of stuff or 40 years of stuff squeezed into that book. I don't know. And so it's just interesting how that, you know, one thing leads to another and, and you think about, you know, art for art's sake. I mean, you write a poem and like, it's good. And then like you can share it with people at an open mic and that's good. Um, but I do, there's something about the process actually of publishing And now that I'm, you know, looking to publish with larger journals or or things that aren't just local, um, there's that back and forth process, which is brutal, but I end up becoming out stronger. Like I end up coming out with a stronger voice through that, this bizarre, painful sorting process that is getting published.
0: So the book, and I felt a simple sweetness for me that you did with on Cold River Press, so yeah. wait, you're you're saying you did this in 2016? Well, the book came okay. out in 2017, but you you did yeah all this 2017
1: stuff. is when the book came together. Right. But yeah, yeah.
0: Because I I remember moving to Sacramento up in October of 2016, so oh. I was kind of so basically that means you started you started your poetry career when I just moved up there just to go okay this is where I'm gonna live now. <laughs>
1: i thought you'd been around for a long time because I, I, th- I, <laughs> I thought you have been there
0: i thought you have been there because everyone knew your name it's like oh yeah you, have you seen barbara oh you've you met barbara She Barbara's the best i'm like hey how you doing my name's ron you're barbara <laughs> 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 i thought because the way you know because everyone around would talk about you so, oh, that's, so I, sweet. that's what kind of when you said that started. i thought you started like a 2012 or something and just started missing no. through as they as they kept on going through it Your was birth. just right
1: then but i was busting my butt like i was yes, memorizing to beat the band and, you know there's a lot of old and new stuff i mean new stuff was coming out and and so i was really working hard i was losing a lot of sleep because i think i had that year i must have had a lighter work schedule oh yeah i did i had a lighter <laughs> work schedule in 2016. Because it wasn't until October of 2016 that I learned I could possibly be eligible for a pension at my job. Okay, and so and I had to work a thousand hours a year to get that pension. But up until that October, I didn't know that. So I was going, I was working like you know 800 or less, and then I cranked it up right then to get in under the wire for that uh, 2016. And I finally, I got those five years in a row. Finally, but but yeah, I had some time then. I was doing a lot of windsurfing, and that gave me time to memorize. Um, when I was like out by the river and stuff. And so I was just going to like every poetry. I mean, that's why you saw me there. I was just going to every every place and getting up there with my little, you know, shaking and, and reading.
0: But like you say, you you had so much of 30 years worth of poetry already stacked away. So so in between in between before when you started when you start your poetry career in mm-hmm. 2016, you you were also a mother during that time and you're through that time, you were also writing along with while you're tra- taking care of your son and stuff. And, yeah.
1: You know and that was hard, you know, I mean, basically, and it's funny, most of my life has been like this, you know, outside of preschool and my first grade teacher, I've just written occasional like one or two poems a year. Just something hits me hard, you know, a dead squirrel on the road or whatever. And, and I got to write a poem about it, but I've been fortunate. Enough to be in like poetry workshop in college, a creative writing class in high school. And then when I joined the Shambhala center, the Davis Shambhala Buddhist center, they had a writing group. And so that writing group, we might've met every month for quite a while, but it was when my son was like four, five, six, seven, that kept me writing. Cause like, I wanted to have something to bring to that writing group. and the, And that group of people was so supportive. So I, that kept this little thread of writing through, and a lot of those stuff I was writing about was, you know, the difficulty of of being a parent. I mean, like you're giving your kid a bath, and you're trying to not just <laughs> they're screaming, and you're trying to not, you know, push them under the water for just a few seconds there. But I mean, you know, you're not going to, you're going to drown him, but you're just like kind of on your rope, you know. So it's good. It was good to get some of that stuff written down, and and the the poetry group was so sweet, or it was, it was it wasn't just poetry, but it's mostly poetry. They would actually meet at my house, so I would make a big batch of ling ling pot stickers, and then my son would fall asleep on my lap, you know, during the group, and and so that was um, the only way I could have could have kept writing during that time.
0: Nice. So, so speaking of So so um,
1: what got you into
0: Buddhism? I mean,
1: well, and that really that really comes out of twelve step work for me. Um, my father was an East Asian studies specialist, and. St- And so he had a reverence for Buddhism and Taoism too. And he took us to visit and actually stay in Buddhist temples in Japan when I was a teenager. And I remember just being like, this is the place to be. Like, could I ever, you know, like live here or be a part of something like this? And at that time, it didn't really seem like white people could just go and (laughs) do that, you know? I remember seeing one white guy in the lineup with all the Buddhist monks at this one temple in Kyoto. And I was like, that's weird, you know, maybe there's hope for me. I don't know. And so, um, but I started doing 12 step work for relationship issues when I was, um, let's see, 2001. And, and uh, when I got to step three, it was like, Oh, time to get a spiritual practice. And I was like, well, I always said I wanted to be a Buddhist when I grew up. So I just looked up, you know, where are there Buddhists in Davis? And that's how I ended up at the Davis Shambhala center. Cause I, I had a three or four, three or four-year-old at the time. And I couldn't be like, you know, driving to Marin County spirit rock where I knew some people went. So I just was like, I can hop on my bike, ride to this Buddhist center and try to work on my rage. <laughs> so oh, okay, it, it was a big help. Cause I, you know. I mean, I think you you have a daughter, I think, yes. and you know, it's one thing parenting an infant, a one year old, but by the time they get to three, you're like, you have to have some tools. Like if you're just <laughs> gonna go forward on like rage and guilt, it's just you know, it's just not gonna be good. So <laughs> had to get some, take a parenting class and become a Buddhist to try to get a handle on that stuff. Ah,
0: nice. Yeah. So. So because I know a few Buddhists and stuff, and most of them are from Davis, so it always cracks me up. They're like, they're all from Davis. <laughs> <laughs> so you being from Davis, like, ah, that's an interesting connection. <laughs> yeah. But so being that you kind of gone on this journey from Buddhism and stuff, what got you involved with the preoccupied pipes?
1: <laughs> Those are my high school friends.
0: Okay. Casey. Well, yeah. Okay
1: those are my high school friends that again, Davis high had this amazing musical program. And then, you know, some people are just born with musical talent or they come into a family. I don't know. I actually come from a pretty musical family, but I'm the one who struggles with pitch and, you know, doesn't ever come in at the right time. But, um, this group of friends from high school went on, they were, a lot of them formed the core of the band lawsuit that played around the area for a long time. And, and then, um, well, we, we lost one of our, um, closest friends. He died when right when around, uh, when we were 30. And so they were still doing little recordings and making little audio magazines. And, um, oh, and what happened was I, I come from Indiana, you know, and so I have, and I've worked in Kentucky and Arkansas. So I'm a fan of country music. And my friend who was had his little recording studio, just like in the corner of his house, he was like, Hey, I need backup country vocals for this one piece I'm recording for a friend. He goes, you got country music background. You can sing a backup vocal. And so, so I did. I mean, of course, I struggled with the pitch. So what he set it up on a loop. So it like looped over and over, you know, 20 times. So I could get my part right. And, um, and that was so fun that that's when I started writing songs. And then they were like, well, Barbara's having so much fun writing songs, even though I don't have the kind of pitch and I couldn't play any instruments, they were still willing to let me sing with them since our, our friend who was the lead singer had died. And they're all great singers, but they're like so good at singing. They don't get all excited about it the way I do. So um, so I got lucky to you know, just have such a talented group of musicians being willing to support me and flesh out song ideas for me. Or, you know, sometimes give me, give me a melody. And and then um, it's just so fun to be given a melody or a set of chords and get to put words on it. It's just, it gives you a lot of space, you know?
0: True. And you've been on several albums over there. So I was like, I looked down the list. I was like, oh, you've been on some <laughs> albums. So you've been putting <laughs> some performances and stuff. That's not, not bad. It's yeah. pretty good. And so the... I've seen you also play. I've seen you also play keyboard before on a few other movies, on a few other <laughs> videos and stuff. But what seeing that you, seen that you basically were doing performance, what got you and in, involved with Grace? Well, was, I great. think I heard the story once, but I want you to tell because i, okay. I forget the story.
1: So it was what's that big fundraiser they were doing? Come on! But come on. my internet might have frozen. No, that's why. Are we back here? Yes. Okay. yes. What's that big fundraiser for um, raising money for uh, folks who've been affected by human trafficking? That was upstairs at Harlow's. I'm trying to remember. Um, oh. um, I, uh, I was talking about, and, about it,
0: but I forgot it. Um,
1: <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm just I'm just blanking on everybody's name. But anyway, I went to that because, yeah, some some folks I knew I think through Sacramento Poetry Center were there. Maybe Anna Marie might have been performing there yeah. from. Um, yes from the from, from, from uh, the confluence yeah yes. yeah yeah anyway uh so i went to that it was upstairs at harlows and there was just an amazing lineup of musicians mc zealous with everybody yeah. yes and um but then this little skinny tiny white girl grace locher gets up there with her little like cut off tank top thing and she just like i mean i just couldn't believe it i just couldn't i mean the words coming out of her mouth and the way she's just standing there, just like sending the words out, like missiles or, you know, butterflies and whatever. And so, um, so then I ended up, I don't know. Then she was at shine somehow, but I was like, I need to get a hold of her CD or whatever. And I ended up like kind of stalking her on Facebook for a while. And then finally, but she was never responding because she never responds to anybody. Finally, like, I feel bad that I'm like kind of stalking you, but like, is there, can I get a hold of just your CD? I promise I'll stop. And then, and then, um, she was like, oh, I'm sorry. I just never get back to anybody. And then what happened was I got the booking at the avid reader. Cause my book had just come out and they were willing to have me feature there. And so I just asked Grace if she would want to, um, co-feature with me. And she was like, okay. So then I was like, well, we have to do some collaborative pieces. She's like, we do, I don't really have time. I was like, well, I'll, I'll come to Oak park and meet you. And, and so, um, it was just so so great to get to do that collaboration with her, and we we'd done you know one or two of those a year up until actually just a year ago was our last one. We did it for the Chaparral Poets. It was a Zoom production oh, we did yeah, in her yeah. backyard, and nice. Um, Grace just helps me like you know to get the movement and the music back into the poetry and and the heart. I mean, I say Grace losher writes poems about heartbreak that are so beautiful. It makes you want to fall in love just so you could have the opportunity to get your heart broken that bad. You know what I mean? So, (laughs) so I'm very, very grateful to her. And then she introduced me to Buddy Wakefield when she was kind of hosting him coming to town. And that was a whole nother, just off the hook experience. So, yeah.
0: I still remember your awakening when I'm dead. I was your song and you did. I was like, and I, and I read the, I read the um, memoir you put on on your own site uh, about when you and Grace said, it's like all the dead people, I collect all the dead pieces, give the grace and let her tie them all up. <laughs> but it's good. Cause she has wants them to be alive, but I'm like, eh, <laughs> you can go die. I don't really know. was <laughs> no, just like, we're just well, like, the, that's interesting. <laughs>
1: well, that was interesting. I think it was, um, yeah, that piece sticks and stones. Mm-hmm. It ends up being like a, a PSA, a suicide prevention PSA, the way Grace writes it. And, oh, I guess, oh no, I guess it was, um, now that you're dead. Yeah. Well, both of those, both of those pieces, you know, and, and Grace is an activist and she's like working with young people and like inspiring people to like take another shot at life. And, and that's, I mean, thank God people like her are willing to do that work. And, and I'm more like working on my 12 step work and my own codependency and trying to stay out of people's business and like, let them, harm themselves however they need to, to figure out whatever they are. And hopefully they're still alive at the end, but I've, I've lost a lot of people. Um, And well, and back in the time when we started doing that, I was 50 and grace was 25. So we had this funny thing of me being twice as old as her. And and I think that was part of, you know, I mean, we're very different people, but um, it's just, I'm grateful that we have people like grace that are like rooting for people to to pull through and come through. And yet at the same time, my personal work is about letting people go and trying to learn to mind my own business and take care of myself. And And it's not that Grace and I both aren't doing both of those things, but um, she she holds up that side of it in such a beautiful way.
0: It does have a yin and yang feel to it. Yeah, so I can see yeah. that being because y'all y'all did do very uh, a lot of stuff together, and I was like, it's like, oh, they're a duo now.
1: Okay. Well, and that's the thing. I just want to, you know, poetry especially seems to be such an isolated thing. And I and I, oh yeah, you know, I, well, I want to thank Michael Ellis and was it, um, Jabri? Oh, Jabri,
0: yeah, Isol Anderson. Anderson.
1: Yeah, yes. Yeah, and Jabari. It was the confluence. And what was the the key? Keynote poets, you yes. because they were bringing the musicians in and bringing in that element of collaboration that we don't see that much. You know, I think you have it more at Sacramento Poetry Center now than when I when I was going there several years back. But it's just like, why does poetry have to be this lonely thing? And like when I when Grace and I were forced to work on things together, it pushed us both into things you know, that we didn't have the guts to do or wouldn't have done. And and the music you were saying about my piano playing. I mean, I did take piano lessons as a kid, but I am not a musician. And but what happened was Grace was doing her looping, like with her guitar and keyboard. So I was like, Grace, you got to do some music for the show we have coming up. And she'd be like, okay, Barbara. Okay. And so I'd like think of stuff and different pieces. And then in the end, she'd be like, Barbara, I don't have any time to practice. You just got to do it. You got to do it on the keyboard or the card. So I would just like learn two chords, you know? And, and, but that was our point is that, you know, we're working together here. You don't have to be good at this to stand up here and do it. And I think that was, that was an important message. And we were proving that you didn't have to be good at it to do it.
0: Yes. I, I was just watching Grace do the washboard it was just even more inspiring. He's like, okay, <laughs> you're washboarding, got more and one shaking, but you're good. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. she'll, she'll make, she'll make a noise out of something. I mean, I've seen her uh, involvement when she, when, when it's her and I've um, got his name, uh, just such with a J, her, her um, long time collaborator, i got his name.
1: Yeah. Um, they did the CD together. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And he, and she, she would do little guitar. He'd do little guitar or do piano. And then when she's on her own, she has to like, Forgot okay, I need to make something up. So she'll, yeah. she'll have her little synth um, or a little looper yeah. and get a guitar, bang on it just for the beat, get a little yeah. strum going and then have everything already isolated and it start it up and then that'll that be her piece. I'm like, what the heck did that come from? I said, that's good. I never saw that coming. <laughs> <I know. laughs> but yeah, she said, but no. Um, so what got, so what brought on the ex, you've been so now you perform for two bits. You performed with a duo with Grace Locher. And also mm-hmm. you've done stuff with Preoccupied Um Pipers. Mm-hmm. Have you and I saw that you also did stuff um with Lonnie on the um oh. cherry the cherry tree carol, um, yes. carol and stuff. So you've been
1: kind of you've been that kind was of taking amazing the perform- working with yes. Lonnie and that came directly out of keynotes. Mm-hmm. I I because I happened to, I think the first time I went to Keynotes, Siobhan Ayala was featuring. And she was amazing. And then, yeah, there was like the house band they would have, and you could like opt to do a piece. And I didn't know that they were husband and wife, you know, but I admired both of them. And then finally, I think it was at Luna's, uh, one time I asked Lonnie, like, could I get you to work on this piece? And I didn't even realize that this piece, the cherry tree, tree Carol had references to guitarists and like Spanish style guitar or whatever. So, and it was, it was just, it was so amazing to work with Lonnie on that. I mean, he was so, um, such a high level of craft, you know, I'd be like, Oh, that's good enough. He's like, no, no. And he would want to like get it more precise. And, and in the end, it just was amazing. And that's why my friend who was in film school at the time, I was like, we got to get this on film because Lonnie and I could hardly ever get our schedules to line up. I mean, he was working crazy hours as a counselor. I mean, and, super long hours and so I was like we got to get this on film and thank goodness we did because then they moved um they moved back to the midwest I think Cincinnati yeah and um but that was just such a privilege to get to work with him and and to I mean and that's why I say about collaboration it pushes you to a level um that you can't just get to by yourself and that's part of the thing with publishing Publishing, it's all still the words, you're not getting multi-dimensional, but you're still having that back and forth and you're getting, you know, squeezed, squeezed and pinched up to into something higher than than what you settled in on your own, I think. True.
0: So I, I noticed that you've now kind of took a turn to do a lot of um essays and a lot of memoirs. What what started that up? Is it just you just want to make a diary of just the period or something? Yeah.
1: Well, what happened is um When I was pulling stuff out of my file cabinet and working on the writing new pieces early 2017 with Dave Bowles and Cold River Press, I had this piece that I'd written um, starting in 2008, 2009, and it's called, How Do You Tell the Difference Between a Codependent and a Bodhisattva? So a codependent, everybody kind of knows what that is, someone who's getting in other people's business too much. And a Bodhisattva, that's the Buddhist term, somebody who's attained enlightenment, but instead of going on to nirvana, they stay back in this world, in samsara, and they're not going to leave until they've helped every other sentient being also attain enlightenment. So it's kind of a big job. (laughs) And um, when I first became a Buddhist, when the first few years I took refuge, which is formally becoming a Buddhist, like kind of like the Christian equivalent of baptism and then usually within a year or two after that, people take a Bodhisattva vow, which is kind of like Christian confirmation or something in terms of your, your kind of um, vowing to commit to the lineage on a deeper level. But since I was doing 12-step work for codependency, I didn't think it was going to be a good idea for me to take a vow to save all sentient beings since I was trying to learn to mind my own business back then. <laughs> and so, um, so I ended up doing a talk that came into this essay. What's the, how do you tell the difference between a codependent and a Bodhisattva? And there was um, reading I happened to be doing around the time that, that, that fed into that. And a lot of it hinged on resentment. You know, when you're, you're able to help people in a way that you can come away with it without any resentment, it's a pretty good sign that you're operating on a higher plane. And when it adds up to your resentment or your expectations and, and, you feel unappreciated, then you're, you probably were doing it from a more base, you know, knee jerk point of view that the kind of have the kind of place I tend to operate from. <laughs> so I, anyway, so I had this little essay and I shared it with Dave because we had prose pieces in that book as well. And he's like, and I, I've been shopping around a Buddhist magazines and they were not really, it was interesting, the response I got. And I think it's because Buddhism, the white Buddhist, the, the largely white Buddhist communities that I've been part of in the U S as opposed to the traditional Japanese or Vietnamese um, Buddhist communities that you also find in Sacramento and other places. um, I think there has been a lot of codependency operating there. I mean, I think you see that with any nonprofit, any volunteer organization. I mean, people want to serve, but they're not always serving from the best place. And so you see a lot of burnout, you see a lot of resentment, you see a lot of politics. And that's because we're not yet advanced enough to be of service in that way, or we we haven't, we don't have a structure to help us do that, maybe, I don't know. And so I think the topic of codependency is kind of touchy for Buddhists in this American um, tradition that some of these traditions I've been a part of. And when I look at how people have burned out in my local Buddhist community or I I see that. And so um, anyway, I wasn't selling that piece to any of the Buddhist magazines I was reaching out to. And so I talked to Dave Bowles about it and I said, I think it's too long. And he said, actually, I think it's too short. Can you give any examples from your daily life of where you struggle to be of service versus being overly involved. And I was like, well, every single day, that's that's the puzzle I'm trying to solve every day. I, I really, truly want to help people. And it is a joy to help people. But instead, I'm just annoying people and harming myself and sometimes harming them by trying to help a lot of the time. And so that's how the book got started is just listing examples of of where I faced that struggle and where I've had the failures and successes with, with reaching out in those ways.
0: Yeah. And, and and i've seen that you've kind of taken on this new um approach for memoirs and also um journals that you obviously you started to put the not only not only poetry which before but you're now going into memoirs like the latest when you're doing you're done and stuff you you're are you just taking this path because as a as a new as a new bookmark to your chapter in your life or is it just some just a pass the time away as you as you go on to your next as you finish the you book and stuff
1: you mean like getting these excerpts published yeah. in the yeah. journal yeah well what happened is you know I, I started seriously working on this this book in in 2017 kind of right as the poetry book was coming together and i was handing it off i was like okay dave says i need examples so i'm writing and writing and, and i st- instead of doing meditation retreats at this remote place in Mendocino, I started doing writing retreats there or combination of writing and meditation and cranking it out. I got a writing coach, um, Nick Jaina, who is amazing. I do highly recommend him. And also that was, again, I went to my poet laureate, you know, what do I, I need help with. And um, that's how I got hooked up with Nick Jaina, who helped me for three or four years um, on this project. I kept being like, oh, I think I'll be done in a few months. And Nick's like, you know, sometimes these projects take a little longer. I'm like, oh, I'm almost done, you know. And um and and it's interesting, Nick is someone who's more an example of like the art for art's sake. He doesn't interface with the publishing world and he's involved with um, things like you're going to die. It's a it's like a conversation cafe, art cafe in the Bay Area. Amazing, definitely worth checking out. And he self-publishes his music and art, but he's also like a rock star and has a following, and so it's a whole nother thing. But um, you know, as I'm working and working on this book and talking to people about it, a lot of people said, "Well, hey, I want to read that book." I'm like, "Well, I do too. That's why I'm writing it because I'm trying to figure this problem out." You know, how do you tell the difference between a codependent and a bodhisattva? And, and it occurred to me that I really wanted distribution, like the poetry book with Cold River Press. And I felt the simple sweetness of me. I have sold a lot of copies, but it's mostly, you know, people I know. And then a few people who know people I know, which is awesome, you know, and um, I've, I'm so grateful for the support I've received, but I just, this problem of sorting out helping others versus codependency, I want Whatever I manage to figure out about that, I want it to get out to a little bit beyond the people I know and the people they know. And so that's where you get into distribution. That's where you get into publishing. And that's where, you know, some presses like Cold River Press, that's not their thing. I mean, they're doing a fabulous job in a certain niche, but um, I'm willing to, you know, give up a share to the agent. I mean, I'm, I know I'm not going to make money on stuff, and I'm willing to have money go towards an agent or a distributor or publisher, because I just want this to circulate um, because it's what I have to offer. I mean, I've, I've lived through some strange things in my life and kind of living at the junction of Christianity and Buddhism and 12 step work. And I've been privileged to some of these teachings, kind of a weird combination of them. And if that could be helpful to anybody else, I want it to travel as far as it can. And so finally, um, about two years ago in February, I got to take a workshop with John Brantingham. Um, he's the poet laureate for uh, Sequoia Kings Canyon National Park. and He lives in <laughs> Southern California. He's just an awesome guy. And he was just like, the way to find an agent or a publisher is to start sending out excerpts. And he's just like, see if you can boil down little bits of it, these little vignettes, pieces of the book and send them out. And I still haven't had anybody knocking on my door to publish this thing but it's, it's helped me refine um, what I'm doing and it's helped me understand what I'm doing better. And it's also helped me meet some amazing people um, like this community with another Chicago magazine out of Chicago. um, I've gotten to hook up with Sandy Weisenberg, who's an incredible editor and she's pushed my writing to a place that I wouldn't have thought it could go, you know? So So thanks to John Brantingham's advice, it's like, it's worth it to interface with this world, even though you're mostly just getting rejected, but the little bits that do get through, um, help you navigate where your place in it might be.
0: I I see that because, um, our last, last conversation I had was with, um, Susan, Susan Kelly DeWitt and talking about, you know, being in her seventies and stuff. You know, she's still on and on trying to get the next book, trying to get the next book going and stuff. And I'm I'm kind of intrigued me that she's gone this far and still has to take these multiple. And you think that she's kind of nationally known, but she still has to take these 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 positions and steps just to get that next thing to keep going and stuff. It's like okay, mm-hmm. well. That means it's it's a it's an ongoing thing and I'm I'm am i I'm sure that you're gonna get there too. I don't think you're gonna get there by seventy. <laughs> You'll get there <laughs> earlier than that. But oh all, all in all, I I do I, am, I do hope that you do get your next your book will be published hopefully before 2023, but if it's not 2025, I don't care. Just as long as it gets published, I don't care. I'll, yeah. I'll be the first one to put Just Just send me an email when it comes through. Thank you, <laughs>
1: thank you.
0: But no, but I do have a question. So I always have, I always have this main question, I always ask all my um, guests and stuff. So in the poetry community, you got the people, you got the poets that go on, put their stuff in books, put their stuff in journals, put their stuff on literary essays and everything. And basically, I call those the page poets, and then you got the right. ones that do all the um, spoken word on um, performances yeah. and stuff plays, and I call those the the stage poets. So okay. you guys got a little division between the page versus the stage.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Now, I'm going to ask you, Barbara West, <laughs> do you feel you're close to? What do you feel you're more close to, the page, the stage, <laughs> or both?
1: Well, and the thing is, um. You know, I think bottom line, I'm a performer. And and, you know, you know, 2016, 2017, 2018, it was clear to me that I was a better performer than I was a writer. And um and folks at the Sacramento Poetry Center, um a few people just took me aside and said, you know, you've got to like do some videos on YouTube and stuff because I know how to like Working with Nick Jaina, it was clear I didn't know how to create tension as a writer and partly because I hadn't done long form stuff. But I know how to create tension with my body, with my voice when I'm in a room with people making eye contact and and feeding off of the energy of the people in the room. And so what I've been I didn't really want to learn this, but what I have been learning these last three years is how to engage with an audience just through the black and white words on the page. So you subtract out my voice, you subtract out my body. Like I'm having to learn to use punctuation, you know, like (laughs) there's a lot I didn't know about punctuation, you know, and sentence structure. And um, so. I think fundamentally I'm a physical person and what comes naturally to me is, is performing and using my voice and my body, but the stuff this codependent versus bodhisattva stuff is tricky enough that it it needs to get teased out in the black and white on the piece of paper i think and so it's it's forcing me to learn these page skills uh, which has been really painful you know but but i'm able to reach people you know in places and um different kinds of people that i that i wasn't able to reach with performing so so i guess that's yeah, fundamentally, I'm a stage person, but I'm learning to do the page thing because it's the vehicle I need for this certain message. And I'm just praying that if I ever get to finish this book, I will never have another book idea like this again. I mean, like, <laughs> it just physically, like, it's taxing. And I was trying to stay single to finish it because I knew it'd be, you know, not compatible with being in a relationship. But, but I, I physically um, broke down. I mean, like seriously adrenal failure, thyroid failure. And so, uh, I realized I just couldn't go on without human contact anymore. And that's, I'm grateful to be in a relationship now, but my girlfriend's like, when you finish this book, is it just going to be another one? And and I'm just like, I, I pray not, you know, I mean, I pray to get back to poetry because poetry is just physically more friendly, you know, to the body and it's more social.
0: Well, I do hope you do find some people up there in Oregon because I know I do know there's a little there's a little hidden group close to Portland. So I don't know how close to Portland you are. <laughs> so they, I know they're they're out there. I, I have a few people that somehow strayed away from California when no in
1: After we after we get off the air, let's mm. give me that contact info because I'm actually going to be doing some airport drop-off and pickups in Portland okay. um in a couple months. And so maybe that'll be a time I can look it up because I'm only like an hour and a half from Portland, but traffic is really bad. But it might be worth um just starting to connect to people up there. So thank you for that. No problem.
0: I i I know that um uh N Yes always goes up there and does his tours ah. and stuff so up all the time. So that's one of his one of his main places in touring that he goes from oh there to my Washington.
1: Yes, I'm a so, huge fan of him. Yes, oh yes. my <laughs> goodness. Oh my goodness. So, all yeah. right. Well that's that's very encouraging just to make that connection with yes, yeah yeah I'll get more because I
0: know he has more information about it and stuff and he'll 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 maybe tag you some people along. I just know like maybe one or two people, but not too mm-hmm. not too much. But yeah, I I can see that. Um no, but do you have do you I was gonna say if you have a poem you would like to read? If
1: you yeah, have one. let's see. <laughs> let's see. I got hang on, hang on. Oh, here we go. Let me just get the whole book out <laughs> um, uh, You know what? Is <laughs> that I think I'll read this. This is um John Denver Miss Otis. Go ahead. But it's it's about um, you know interacting with people, this isn't about exactly trying to help. It's more trying to hurt, but, but it's just about how, um, how hard it is to navigate um, relationships with, with anybody. Okay. John Denver, Miss Otis. Did John Denver really beat his wife? Whether it was true or not, we were devastated to hear it and then decided it wasn't true. But now I can see how someone with depth of feeling could be pushed beyond their limits. As I am humming, Miss Otis regrets all day without meaning to and hoping no one hears, or if they do, they don't recognize the song or if they do they've forgotten the plot relationships are so hard so it's actually a wonder more of us aren't packing guns under our velvet gowns madam uh and I, I you know I, I I feel bad now with just the gun reference here you know with all the recent events and things but, so it just, but it's just it's <laughs> It's also, I mean, I guess it's, you know, it's just humbling to think, um, you know, how we do have violence within us too. And, and that's, I guess that's why I'm for gun control because, you know, I, I wouldn't want me to have a gun in my hands for all the different moods and things I've gotten into in my life, you know, and, and I, and I, it's funny, I didn't, I didn't at all, um, think of that with, when choosing this poem, but it it's humbling, you know, getting back to Buddhism and feelings and controlling our own rage. Um, I'm just in this moment feeling really grateful I didn't grow up in gu- gun culture. And as much as I've struggled with uh, my pacifist heritage, I'm grateful that it's kept me and others safe, you know?
0: Wow, uh, that's, that's deep. I didn't think
1: about that. Yeah. I didn't put it together till right now either. So, and then that's the thing we're getting back to with, with Buddhism and um, well, many teachings is, is um, what's the, the Dorothy day um, saying we, we only love God as much as we can love our worst enemy or the person we despise the most. And so. Oh, oh, I know. I know what I'm trying to talk about here. This is this what I'm doing. I've, I've been reading this book lately. Ooh, okay. This is Kazu Haga Healing Resistance. It's, it's from the Kingian uh, nonviolent tradition, Martin nice. Luther King's teachings, Nice. Uh, a radically different response to harm. And what he's teaching us is that, you know, we just can't hate. I mean, we can't, even if we think it's okay to hate Donald Trump or whatever. Like we're actually hurting ourselves and everybody else when we do that, and and we have to find the love underneath that, no matter how angry we might be. So, um, and I guess we're doing that for our own sakes, really. You know, there but for the grace of God.
0: Yeah. I always try to do that with people when they like almost like a benefit of the doubt type of feel, and but I always get a lot of people getting resistance and why are you trying? Mm-hmm. Just just hate and keep going. It's like, but it doesn't that's not going to go anywhere. I mean, you're not going to, you're not going to, you're not going to provide anything and you're not going to make anything better out of it. You're just going to just cut loose okay. and hold on to the, whatever.
1: And then we're no better than them right. if we, when we're hating on them. And so, um, and, you know, it's like, you know, these teachings are out there um, and they're within the the Christian tradition that I'm from, but, and, and we know Martin Luther King said these things and we try to think about it at least on MLK day, you know, in January, but, but um Kazuhaga, he's in Oakland now. Um, and he's been working with us, you know, in prisons and outside. And and he's really making it, he's boiling it down for us to understand. Like we don't have to be spiritually wise to understand what he's saying in this book. And, and he's just like, no, I mean, I mean, we really can't hate. We have to, we have to find a way to love through it. And um <laughs> that's that. But he's like, it's okay. You can start off. He compares it to weightlifting. You just start off with like light like hand weights, five pounds here and there. You know, just start loving your neighbor. who's kind of annoying, and then just work your way up. You know, is it skill? You got to practice.
0: Don't hate the fly that keeps buzzing around. You just want to hit it with a.
1: It's like, <laughs> so start <stop> bugging me. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Well. <laughs> Thank you, Barbara, for being on and stuff. And thank you for the poem and everything. And for everyone else, Barbara, where would you want them to find you out on your social medias?
1: Well, let's see. Oh, uh, let's see. What am I? What am I on those things? I mean, Barbara at Barbara-West.com. That's the easiest thing to find. And then it's got all the, the links on there. Yes. I, I think I'm kind of hard to find on Facebook just because Barbara West is such a common name. I'm a little... And I'm, I'm, oh, on Instagram, I think I'm Barbara Ellen West. I yeah,
0: put, I put Barbara West poet to get you on Google search.
1: <laughs> okay, all right, all right. Your right like right there. like something, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, Sharon, for thinking
0: of that. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I tried. I was like, Barbara West, and then it came up like, Bar- Deborah Sellovsky some some <laughs> person back in the two th- in the 90s the 1900s and I was like who is this person that's with poet and then found your pops I was like oh there she is <laughs> uh, thank you
1: thank you for finding me <laughs> no problem oh, so nice <laughs> to talk to you today
0: <laughs> always always but to everyone else out there is her please check out barber westcom you'll get all the information you even get her links to Occupy pipers you even get a link her going to grace locher and every Everything that they've done. And also, check out her, her, her old first book. And I felt simp- the simple sweetness of me. And the second book will be coming out soon. But for all those people, <laughs> she'll, she's going to get it out for us. We'll we'll, we'll we'll keep it in our mind. Just think positive <laughs> thoughts. And to everyone else, I'd like to say thank you to Barbara and thank you to everyone for listening. And this is a serious, this is serious, like she's done this. And I am Sharon, that is Barbara. And we're out. See ya. <laughs> Bye.